today on Ag News Daily. The other area of an element of concern is what happens when you know, bit by bit or acre by acre, farm by farm, outside foreign entities are purchasing the land that we need. Listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here, sitting on May 11th, Thursday edition of the podcast. How you doing, Delaney? I'm good, Tanner. How are you today? I'm good. Finally had some nice weather. Of course, it seems to be whenever we get nice weather in the state of Iowa, it comes with some strong, blustery winds. We were on the softball diamond last night, and those poor kids, poor kids couldn't see anything for how much dust was flying around on the infield. And you're going to go golfing tomorrow and take the day off the podcast. So you're just having quite the week, aren't you? Absolutely. Hopefully we uh, don't get rained out. I think there's a lot of producers here in Iowa that would hope to miss the rain chance this evening. However, we do have flood warnings and watches being issued for parts of Colorado, Kansas, and Nebraska. Of course, not the parts of Kansas that desperately need it, but the National Weather Service has put those flood warnings out in effect until 10 a.m., the low water crossings will be the areas of emphasis there. Expect areas of slow moving water and standing water. Parts of central Arkansas also are seeing flash flood warnings where two to four inches of rain have already fallen and another two to three are forecasted. We here in the Midwest have a chance of rain for this evening. Otherwise, we're headed back into what again was forecasted earlier this week into a potentially cooler temperatures next week, Delaney. Okay, so not going to last too long, but you know, I've seen a lot of corn emerging here across the state, so should be okay with some cooler temperatures rolling in. Yep, I think we should be fine. Well, Tanner, I tell you what, I don't think I have too much other weather-related news aside from a drought continuing to sink into hard red winter wheat country. Grow Intelligence released their outlook here using satellite data imagery to reflect what the 2023 hard red winter wheat crop looks like, and they're suggesting much lower yields than we saw last year. They said, you know, we've seen a lot of dust, drought, and other weather impacts, and Grow Intelligence 14 yield forecasting models, which apparently use artificial intelligence. I thought that was just an interesting side note. Um, are suggesting that yields are looking a bit worse than last year, but especially worse in Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma. Last year, the USDA said farmers grew about 531 million bushels of hard red winter wheat, almost 30% less than 2021, and estimates for the 2023 growing season are already forecasted to be lower than last year's number. However, early estimates on tomorrow's WASD report are pegging the average hard red winter wheat crop at 588 million bushels, which would be up a little bit from last year's final number. But a lot of satellite data imagery is suggesting that number is still too high, Tanner. Yeah, it's interesting to see if that will have any effect on where markets are headed. We've also got the pasture and range conditions report coming out of the USDA. Conditions have improved since last year, but are still extremely poor in the Plains area. Kansas is setting records for the worst conditions in their history. Pasture and range conditions show 33% is good to excellent, 37% is poor to very poor. The picture of the chart here, Delaney, as you look on AgWeb, 
shows that you go South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas are all 50% or better for poor conditions. But then you trace the Mississippi River and head east, and a majority of the pasture and rangeland in that portion of the territory are good to excellent. So they continue to watch this. But ultimately, where a majority of the cattle population is, is that area that is very poor, which could indicate that we could see further culling of a cow herds as we go through the rest of 2023. Well, Tanner, I'm going to take us back here to the markets for a moment, because like I mentioned earlier, we do have the WASD report coming out tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Central Time. And this is going to be the first outlook here that we see for the 2023 growing season. So as you look at analyst expectations, soybeans are expected to climb from 212 million bushels of old crop to 293 million bushels for new crop. And some analysts are suggesting that's going to eventually push soybean trade below $12. On the corn stock side of things, expecting to see expanded numbers there as well. Currently sitting at a 1.366 billion bushels, going to be expecting 2.094 as the average expectation for tomorrow's report. Now, we should also see some early estimates, Tanner, as far as yield and whatnot goes. And so those are going to be the key things we're looking for here. Not sure if they will touch uh, South American production, but that could also be a lot of anticipation around whether or not USDA raises Brazil's crop and lowers Argentina's crop. So those are going to be a couple of the highlights we're going to be watching for on tomorrow's WASD report that comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. And the podcast will drop just after that so we can make sure we touch on those headlines for our listeners. Oh, great. So as far as ethanol production for the week, we fell to the lowest level in just a month, so not too far off of production there. Production declined to an average of 965 barrels per day that dropped, or 65,000 barrels per day, down from 976 the week before that. Inventories uh, for the week that ended May 5th dropped to 23.291 million barrels. That's down from the 23.363 that we reported on last week. We'll continue to look at live updates for Title 42 as it is set to expire at uh, 11.59 p.m. Eastern time tonight. The Biden administration makes preparations to deal with the anticipated influx to the U.S. on the southern border. Obviously, the Title 42 was first implemented under the Trump administration in response to the pandemic. Without Title 42 in place, migrants will either be removed from the country, detained, or released into the U.S., while their cases make their way through immigration court. So Homeland Security is continuing to issue that the border is not open. Hundreds of US troops have already arrived at the Southern border this week, but a lot of Southern state governors are putting in calls for a state of emergency due to their anticipation of a high level of traffic across our Southern border. Well, Tanner, this next issue is near and dear, I'm sure to a lot of farmers hearts as am radio was a staple for a lot of farmers in the early days and a way for them to get their news and information we've started recently seeing here that quite a few 
car manufacturers, including Ford, GM, now Tesla, Audi, BMW, Porsche, Volvo, and Volkswagen have all chosen to remove AM options from their electric lineups and some of their gas-powered lineups as well. Uh, Ford, I believe, was the first car manufacturer to release this piece of information. And when you look at the importance of AM radio, Tanner, this was a, I think we maybe briefly touched on this on the podcast after I came back from DC, because this was a top issue that farm broadcasters obviously are very concerned about, but not only from the fact of getting your news and markets on AM radio, but also from a safety perspective, because if some sort of apocalyptic scenario happened, AM radio would hypothetically be the only communication platform that people will still have if radio, FM radio goes out, if Sirius goes out, if internet and cell service goes out, AM radio is the only real way to communicate with, you know, people living out everywhere across the United States. So there's multifaceted concerns to removing AM radio from car manufacturer vehicles. And currently, um, There hasn't been official legislation introduced yet, but that's on the radar for sure of quite a few folks in Congress. Yeah, and it's hard to state that legislation would pass because if it's a technological error with batteries and electric vehicles, it's hard to mandate AM coming through if it's just scientifically not possible. So it'd be interesting to watch the progressions of that, certainly. Last piece I have for today, Delaney, is just some updates on Russia-Ukraine conflict. The Ukraine military is still stating that they inflicted huge losses in their successful counterattack yesterday, while the Wagner chief again is back in the news uh, stating here that the Russian brigade had abandoned their position south of Bakhmut and were leading to a majority of the casualties there and stated that the Russian military may pay for their losses. Vladimir Putin is signing a decree that is permitting the conscription conscription for more military training of citizens in their reserve program to try and increase numbers. And as we talked about yesterday, France was in the news. They have now opened a war crime investigation following their death of their journalist who was in Ukraine at the time of his passing. So we'll continue to see more updates almost daily on that conflict. That's what I've got for today, Delaney. Yeah, and there are discussions going on this week, Tanner, in Istanbul to continue to hopefully negotiate toward an extension of the Grain Corridor Initiative. So maybe we'll see news come out early next week on that. Who knows really at this point? That's correct. How are markets looking this morning? Well, Tanner, I have just one other quick headline here I wanted to share with our listeners before we get into markets. And that is a new piece of legislation that the U.S. Senate Committee on Wednesday introduced that would place advanced safety requirements on railroads. Citing the February toxic chemical derailment that happened in Ohio, as well as the plethora of other railroad derailments that we've seen here over the past couple of months, the Bipartisan Rail Safety Act would mandate railroads use safety detectors and at more frequent intervals than railroads now use voluntarily. Trains would also be required to slow down in urban areas when hauling hazardous materials and install better braking systems. Furthermore, the bill broadens the list of chemicals that are currently identified as hazardous 
And the bill moved out of committee on Wednesday with a 16 to 11 vote. And so now we will see this thing continue to move down the pipeline. But I think this is really timely here because when we were in D.C. a couple of weeks ago, this was a top of mind issue that a lot of broadcasters were asking was what's going to happen? Are we going to see any sort of legislation here that improves uh, the way that our train systems operate, Tanner? So a little piece of legislation there. We'll continue to follow as it comes down the pipeline. Awesome. Yeah, it was looks like corn had a good day yesterday as it regained a little bit. But we had uh, obviously some huge losses earlier in the week that reported on. How's it bouncing back this morning? Well, it's unfortunately not bouncing back here today, Tanner. Uh-huh. In the overnights here, we saw July corn shed at four cents. We'll open here this morning at four ninety. These new crop corn down four and a half cents at five sixteen and a quarter. Really going to be seeing tomorrow's wise report. And if any sort of surprises can peak the markets back up here, at least in the short term. July soybeans shed twelve cents at thirteen ninety two. Nov new crop beans down nine and three quarter cents in the overnight will open at 1241 in the hard red winter wheat contract the july shed five pennies will open here this morning at 850 and a quarter and a quick look at yesterday's livestock markets they were not able to sustain the gains they've been holding on to earlier this week as the august live cattle contract shed 37 and a half cents at a buck 6117 august feeders will open 97 and a half cents lower at 225.15 and June lean hogs down 22 cents yesterday to open here today at 84, 17 and a half. Tanner, we're kicking it over here today to a couple of sound bites coming to us from Washington Watch a few weeks ago. This one's still a very timely topic as a lot of the legislators we talked to were pressed on the issue of foreign ag investments and also foreign investments in land specifically. So let's kick it over first to a conversation here with Stephen Peterson and Marcus Graham as they discuss the Foreign Ag Disclosure Act, otherwise known as FIDA. What CARES referencing is Agricultural uh, Foreign Investment Disclosure Act, a FIDA is the acronym for that. You've probably been hearing a lot about that recently. Um, FSA typically has been a role uh, in the venue of, of receiving applications from foreign persons. Um, when that was initially authorized, you know, our county offices were different back then in the sense that things were more manual, producers were coming into the offices, uh, farm records changes were occurring, and so we would capture that when producers would update their farm records to say that the land was sold. It gave an opportunity for FSA to take applications, uh, the 153, uh, for identifying foreign owners that had purchased agricultural land. I think with the change of FSA and the responsibility, that's a joint responsibility now because our economic policy analysis division within um, the FPAC Business Center really monitors and does the analysis and does the reporting around AFIDA. And so we were just a resource to funnel that information into our economic policy analysis division to then do the analysis to do the reports. I think we do need to, with everything uh, along uh, and within FSA's bandwidth, we do need to do more modernization around automating that process to make it easier for foreign investors to actually file those, not having just to come to the county office or, or send a document into the national office, but come up with an online process that I think would streamline it um, to ensure that 
producers know they have access to it or foreign investors know they have access to it um, to be able to file those records much easier. Um, we are talking about that. We're having conversations because we know it's important on the Hill. We're getting a lot of TA requests around AFIDA. Um, and so I think you're going to see some changes, significant changes coming up in the, in the very near future. Number one of which is a, a better reporting mechanism so that when you want to see or pull reports associated to who are investing in uh, U.S. ag land, um, that information will be readily accessible. Tanner, the next conversation here was one from Senator John Thune up there in the Dakotas as he discussed how farmland and foreign farmland purchases are going to be tackled in the farm bill here specifically. I'm, I think that's going to be an issue in the farm bill. And actually, we've asked uh, our ranking Republican on the Senate Ag Committee, John Bozeman from Arkansas, has asked for a hearing on that subject. And so I think we'd like to get a fuller understanding of what the impacts of you know, foreign investment in farmland in this country are. But um, And there's a bill, as you mentioned, and I'm on that bill, which would prevent list a certain number of countries and either those countries, government or, or, or businesses uh, supported by those governments, prevents them from acquiring farmland here in the U.S. So I think that's going to be an issue in this farm bill, for better or worse. And I, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's a reality that countries like China, adversary countries, are uh, looking at all possible avenues of um, influencing uh, our country's economy. Uh, they're everywhere. They're on every continent. They're in South America. They're in Africa and clearly trying to have that same influence here in the U.S., and I, I think we have to be very wary of that. Um, in my view, there are lots of reasons from a national security standpoint that allowing them to acquire farmland, particularly close to military installations, which is what they've tried to do, is, uh, is a real problem, and I'm very supportive of uh, doing what we can to restrict or at least um, certainly uh, pare back those investments. And the last conversation, Tanner, comes to us from Abigail Spanberger. She is a United States representative, I believe, in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, So her district is actually a pretty urban area, although she does have a little bit of rural as well, but she has a security background, national security background. And so that makes her comments interesting here as well, because she's looking at it from a national security viewpoint and has some interesting thoughts about foreign farmland and foreign purchase investors. There's a a couple of us who are on the Agriculture Committee and also on the House Intelligence Committee, Um, and so are focused together on issues related to protecting, supporting, uh, being partners with American Ag, and then also recognizing some heightened national security risks that may exist um, when we see control of American farmland going to foreign owners. There's a couple a couple elements to that. Uh, there's the actual, are there swaths of American farmland that are being purchased that might be in uh, geographically interesting or sensitive places, right? Like that's one bucket near military installations, near uh, sensitive government-related properties where a foreign government comes in and buys that land. Uh, that's one element of a area of concern. The other area of an element of concern is what happens when, you know, bit by bit or acre by acre, farm by farm, outside foreign entities are purchasing the land that we need to feed our country 
or the land that we need to kind of be an integral part of our communities and drivers of rural economy. Uh, and, and those are, at times, two separate discussions. The conversations that are ongoing, and we, we as you mentioned, have introduced legislation to this point, um, I think the conversations are um, happening at a steady pace, which I think is important because we certainly don't want to just say, you know, all foreign purchase of American land is bad, right? Like painting that with a broad brush can be problematic. Um, but certainly looking at the two different elements of the challenge we're facing, certainly farmland near sensitive government installations, you know, that's something that requires a bit more urgency in how we address it. But then overall looking at the strategy of, you know, what are ways that, you know, a producer who might be looking to sell their farm um, and the, the, you know, the buyer, their economic interests are to sell to the first, the person who wants to buy for the best price. Well, what else exists as an option if that producer does want to sell to the next generation farmer, you know, down the street who just can't put up that level of capital? Like, is it a capital investment issue? Is it a, you know, a, this is what this the, the landowner who's selling is faced with and the decision they're making. So this gets into kind of larger scale um, discussions of not just are there national security implications, yes or no, or it's very nuanced, but then also if our goal is to say it's, it's optimal when an American farmer continues farming American land, um, are there things that we could be doing to help first generation or um, you know, new farmers be able to make the investments in that land that otherwise, you know, the, the capital might only exist with, you know, insert whatever, you know, foreign-owned entity. Well, Tanner, we are wrapping up, I think, most of the Washington, D.C. comments here, but I think a lot of good stuff that's still relevant here even a few weeks later. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing those back and shout out their listeners, like you said, uh, it's always good to keep them informed, and that's the reason they want to keep tuning in each week. So thanks again for doing that, listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow with uh, some updates for you as well in our Friday edition. What do you say, Delaney, for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 